Welcome to a new episode of Don't Be a Man About It. Today, my guest is an exceptional guest. He went from surgery to coaching and mental strength coaching. What is what is his story? Why does he why does he do what he does, and what is his purpose? Let's find out. Dr. Ryan, hi. Hi, Rahaf. Uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, really excited. Thank uh, you for accepting my episode. invitation. Thank you for doing that. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. So let's start with a very light question. How is your heart doing today? It's actually doing uh, quite well. I, I woke up uh, early uh, today, which is something I've been working on personally uh, on a weekend, nonetheless. Uh, and I, I've done a lot of things that I've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, alone, which is uh, something also I've been working on. Uh, so yeah, I can uh, I can easily say that uh, it's been a it's been a great day, and my heart's feeling fine today. That's awesome. What about your heart this year? This year, um, uh, today, looking back, uh, I can say that I'm uh, grateful. I can say that I'm in. Uh, a position I wouldn't have been if it weren't for the struggles and challenges that we've been through. And I say we, because, you know, this is something that the whole world is going through. It's not something we're going. Exactly. For the first time in, in history and for the first time in our history, probably hopefully the last time you, you, you get the opportunity to share something with literally everybody in the world. And uh, that's an exceptional experience, but from where I'm standing now, I think, uh, uh, if I had to choose one word, it would be grateful. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Dr. Ryan, why did you shift from medicine and surgery to coaching and mental strength? This is a huge shift. And especially in our society or community, it's a bit weird. So why? Why did you do that shift? <laughs> it's not the first time I've heard the weird comment. I can tell you that. <laughs> Um, uh, I've heard much worse. I've heard people say you're literally opening up a, a trash can and throwing uh, bags and bags of cash. Uh, but uh, uh, no, so today my, let me fast forward to today. Today my, my personal purpose or my personal message is building people. And I always had the feeling in medical school, even before I graduated, that uh, there was so much more or let's say different things that I could do to improve people's lives. Um, you know, being a doctor definitely or a surgeon, anybody in the medical field, it's a noble a job. Uh, it's, it's a tough job. It's, it's a life, it's not a, it's not a job. And uh, I believe if you can't find something that you can dedicate your life to, then some of your time, time is wasted at least. And that's what I felt. I felt that even within you know, studying medicine and, and after that training and, and practicing for a bit, that uh, I felt like my heart was somewhere else. I felt that I, my value was bigger somewhere else, uh, which is exactly what I'm doing today in, in coaching and helping people. But that being said, I don't like to uh, segment it. I don't like to feel that there's us and them and then there's this team and that team. And then we're all trying to improve people's lives and that's where I came up with the personal purpose, building people, because it's all around the people in the end, whether you're a doctor, coach, trainer, nutritionist, physiotherapist, 
and then you're trying to improve someone's life one way or another. But it really depends on what you're good at. And I think if you can have a marriage between the two, then it's the best case scenario. I totally agree, yes. But what is the reason? I think there must be a story, I mean, doctor. Come on, open up, open no, up. I don't think, <laughs> no, I don't. No, all the stories happen after the decision, actually. Annie, uh, you mentioned a lot of, you know, or you, know, you mentioned briefly about the pressure from society and from family. You know, especially in our side of the world, there's a big expectation. Uh, I'm I'm the eldest child in the in the family, so I'm, I'm actually the first doctor in the family. If, if I'm not mistaken, Sorry, if I'm there's another doctor out there, they, you know, come and contact with me. But um, uh, yeah, there was a big pressure and, and probably most of the stories happened after the decision, not before. Before it was more of a gradual uh, shift and just coming to the conclusion that I'm more useful and uh, talented and just stronger in, in another area, which is which is coaching. And I've been doing that for eight years now on and off. Uh, and I couldn't be happier, honestly. And so you're originally from Saudi, right? Yes, my, my, my father is Saudi. Okay. And my mother is American. She's from the United States. Wow, so that's a cool combination. So you live now in Saudi. How yeah. is the community responding to mental strength coaching or mental health um, as a topic, are they more accepting of facing their fears or facing their struggles, talking about what they're going through, both genders, not necessarily just men, but how are they reacting to this topic? Because I know like maybe a couple of years back, this topic wouldn't be on the table no matter what. True, and I think, um, so to answer your question shortly, I think, uh, or briefly, I think that- You can today, take time, it doesn't uh, have to be brief. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, that's the good thing about podcasts, we can take our time. Um, yeah, I think uh, definitely, definitely today, the awareness is at an all-time high. I think even from my personal encounters, from my coaching clients, from companies I work with, there's a general uh, sense that this is something important and that people actually suffer when they don't take care of their mental health. Maybe in the past, I, I, I can say that in the past, maybe it was viewed as something that's a luxury. So, you know, if you take care of it, great. If you don't, it's not a necessity. It's not like going to the doctor and getting your blood sugar checked or, you know, having a, a screening a test of some sort. Um, so that's, that's definitely one thing. But I can definitely say that what we've been through this year uh, with the COVID-19 and the coronavirus uh, definitely fast-forwarded uh, a lot of things in terms of awareness. Uh, people became uh, more aware just for the fact that they had to face it in a mandatory sense. They, it wasn't optional anymore to take care of your mental health you actually had to take care of your mental health to survive whatever we're going through. So I think that as tough as it is, and some people are still suffering, that in itself is uh, kind of a reality check that 
if we don't take care of our mental health, we can really suffer. And let me tell you something, Rahaf. The first month, all of my clients booked sessions. And I was booked solid from noon till maybe 11, 12 p.m. sometimes at night. And 100% of my clients were mental health clients. Or there would be someone who signed up for a weight loss program. And then all of a sudden, they don't want to talk about weight loss anymore. They want to talk about how they're feeling anxious or how their fear for their health or for their spouse's health or for, uh, you know, uh, just the general situation in the household. You know, they would have three kids, four kids. Or they're used to going to school every day. Well, guess what? Now everybody's stuck in one apartment, seven, eight people living in a tight space. So you can imagine what kind of, you know, anxiety yeah. and, and, and negative situation that can, yeah, that can cause. So, just those small scenarios, I think, kind of pushed people to consider mental health in a mandatory way, whereas before I think it was optional or maybe even a luxury for some people. It's so interesting that last year I was delivering a webinar or a seminar with a company from Saudi, and it took them months, months to actually admit that well-being and mental health is something they should be focusing on. I remember when I was uh, supposed to, to deliver a training, they said, we don't care about well-being or mental health. As long as the money is running on the table, everything is, everyone is doing their jobs, we're good. When I started to show them the results of not taking care of your employees' well-being, the absenteeism, the presenteeism, the burnout, how the, it affects the productivity, how it affects the inspiration. And then they were like, hmm, okay, let's do this. Why do we not take the action? We know what's wrong, but we don't take the action, especially men. So why do you think that? Well, that's interesting. And uh, I want to take it as positively as I can, because... I really want people to be able to feel that this is something that's still in, in their control and they can actually take action. Um, I think when it comes to men, we, uh, we, and by the way, I love the name of the podcast. Thank Don't you. be a man about it. It's, it hits home. It's very clear and creative. I, I, I love it. And I think it speaks to the challenge that uh, men face, which is feeling the need to, um, overcome any challenge they face in their life, uh, in their lives with willpower. Yeah. Uh, so from when, you know, speaking as a man, from when we're children, we're told not to cry, we're told to deal with certain challenges. I remember for, for me at some point, um, this is just a side story. I lost my national ID when I was, I think, 14 or 15 and, you know, I'm 15, I don't have a driver's license or a car or even money. Uh, and my father said, just, you know, go deal with it. So those small, you know, bits of programming, I think, just feed into the mentality that anything you face in your life, you need to face it alone and you need to figure it out. Um, and, you know, that might be valuable in a, in a sense to kind of, you know, learn and develop and grow. But when it comes to big challenges like mental health, like other, uh, even physical health, I think men suffer especially because they feel that they need to, f to face it alone. And if they don't face it, face it alone, then there's a general stigma of weakness that is 
cast upon them. So, um, and that's, uh, I gave a lecture recently and I called it the myth of willpower. And I, I didn't mean it in a literal sense. I think you need to have willpower, but the, the stigma around it, that you need to exercise willpower 100% of the time in 100% of your life, that's false. Uh, personally, I've had my mental health struggles and in the beginning, I can tell you that the, my mentality automatically shifted into the Arab mentality and I have to deal with everything alone. I have to be a man and, and I was a man about it. Unfortunately, that didn't lead to any good result. And uh, the pleasant surprise after I actually started opening up, seeking help from friends, um, uh, coming, uh, kind of being transparent with my family, I discovered that I was surrounded with, you know, good friends. I was surrounded with people who are willing to listen. I was surrounded with a loving family who didn't care uh, as much as I thought they did about, you know, how you've progressed in your life or succeeded or dealt with certain problems. Yes, there's that kind of, uh, you know, shadow still, uh, but in the end, uh, it's more of a perception, more of a, a, a let's say, uh, an idea that was just drilled down into our heads uh, when we were young. And I think there are two groups of people that can learn from what's been happening and in, in all these struggles that we're going through. The, the men themselves can learn to kind of try to seek support and surround themselves with people who are willing to listen and willing to, to have a conversation without passing judgment, but also the, the, the support system themselves. So I would say if you're a mother or father, uh, friend, uh, brother, whatever, try to suspend, if someone comes to you with such complaints, try to suspend your judgment, try to not say, you know, what you personally think, at least in the beginning, until that person has your confidence, and then maybe you can have a, a more honest conversation. And I could say two of my friends, especially, uh, did that with me. And, uh, you know, honestly, I do think they, they saved my life. Um, uh, if it weren't for them and their support, my family's support, who knows what could have what what could have happened? So I think it's it comes from that. The challenge comes from just that uh, that record that we uh, we got used to as children. And you have to be a man. You have to deal with your problems, and you have to do it alone. And uh, I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of people around you that are willing to help you. You just might feel you know inappropriate in the beginning, but. I think on the other side, it's, it's pleasantly surprising. Which is it, the ego or the fear that prevents a man from seeking help? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know if I have an answer. I think it's, it's both generally. Um, if anything, I, I, I do know this. If anything, fear pushes men to take action. It, it doesn't, I, it might prevent them, but I know, I do know that. But at some point he it, will take action. Yeah. Um, but I do know that, for example, from my experience with my clients, it takes men a lot of time and a, a long series of struggles before they actually seek help. And most likely in the end, the thing that makes them seek help is fear of, 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 of the consequences. Um, and that's something I personally wish would change. 
and people would take action just to better themselves or kind of improve their quality of life before it gets to a, a, a situation where it's a problem and you know they have to work backwards or climb a mountain before they can start living again. Um, so I, <laughs> again, it's a good question. I don't think I have an answer, but I think ego and fear do play a big, uh, definitely the ego. And you know, I always say it in Arabic, I don't know if the translation has this but uh, you know, men walk around with their noses in the sky, and sometimes they forget what's going on on the ground. So, um, <laughs> but again, they, you know, sometimes these are things we say loosely. I don't know if it's true. I don't want to uh, promote any further stereotypes, <laughs> uh, but I don't want to make the problem worse. But uh, but yeah, I, I do believe fear and ego both play a role. And sometimes you need to give yourself a check and see where you are, I guess. So let's take it from here. You, you have a man coming to you. He has both a high ego and big fears. What's next? Um, so it really depends uh, on the person himself. So if, if it really depends what the person wants. Okay. Uh, for me, that's the most important thing at least as a coach, for you to, to suspend your own interests, your own judgment, and try to listen and understand what it is this person wants. This person could want to avoid uh, bigger problems or bigger dangers. He could, he could be a person who has heard that if you don't take care of this certain issue, that it could get worse, and the consequences would be one, two, three, four. Uh, or he could have a specific worry or fear. He could really know exactly what's going to be affected in his life and he's trying to prevent that also he could be suffering as we speak it could be he's already gone through the consequences and he's suffering as we speak uh, a lot of times it's things you know related to personal life so he can maybe it's his marriage that's suffering or his intimate relationships that are suffering or maybe it's his uh, friendships or uh, his focus in his uh, his career so those things are the general, I would say, uh, anxieties or worries yeah, that they would have. Uh, I don't um, fixate myself too much on trying to fix people's problems. So if someone say, came... Thing, thank you for saying that. Oh, my God. I always say that no one is here to fix anyone, and you don't need fixing. There's nothing... You know, there's nothing wrong with you. There's just something that has place to improve areas of improvement uh no anxious person can get rid of their anxiety there's no such thing as no more anxiety no you just learn how to manage it you just take the skills or the tools that will help you manage and understand your anxiety that doesn't mean it's gonna go away so that's a very important important topic you just tackled on so thank you uh I think that is one gray area where men are really not understanding it is that we are not trying to fix you when they go to therapist or psychiatrist or a coach even, that you're not going there to get fixed. You're just going there to get a problem solved. And that's the irony that men are problem solvers. By nature, yeah, yeah. they are born to be problem solvers. Why when it comes to their personal problems, no, we don't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So yeah. So uh, ironically, um, so one of the exercises I like using in my sessions is the magic, uh, the magic wand. The magic wand. So, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you know you can relate because you, you do coaching yourself. But the magic wand is basically a simple technique to take you mentally beyond your problems. So. If I solved all of your problems today, what would you do tomorrow morning? That's a question that I ask a lot. And that's when people start realizing that the majority of their days go by trying to solve problems uh, uh, instead of trying to either create good moments or prevent problems, right? Which is what a high quality life is. Um, I like, so a few days ago, I saw your post on reframing and that's another technique we use. Uh, so I had a, a guy a few days ago who had um, high blood cholesterol, high blood sugar. You know, I, I call it the, the Khaliji package or the GCC package, <laughs> which is <laughs> uh, anybody above 40 has that package. Um, so, um, so he came to me, he was very worried, you know, full of fear. He's very successful in his, his business. Yeah, naturally. Uh, but he's worried about this specific problem. So I said, what, what's your goal? And he, he said, my goal is to lower my cholesterol. I said, okay, so what's, why is that important to you? He said, well, I want to be healthy. I said, why is being healthy? And you, you know the story. So you end up reframing the problem into another context or another scenario where they start realizing you know, that these fears or problems are part of a bigger picture. And because of the, the nature of it, because it's an emergency, I, I focused or I zoomed in too much and I can't see beyond it. Whereas if I get used to seeing those problems in the natural context, then even in the future, when they, when they come up again or when another problem comes up again, or when, like you said, when anxiety comes back, if it's something that's not gonna disappear, then I won't be in that emergency state, at least. I won't be rushing and, and, and acting kind of in a rash way. Uh, I know what it is. I know how to handle it. I have the techniques. I have a coach, you know, so you surround them with, the, uh, with support uh, so that they can deal with it. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that, you know, by nature, we're, we try to always run behind the problem and solve it. And I, that's why I love coaching. Uh, my, one of my sayings is i coach people and not uh, and not goals and i'm sure if you've come across this i love that because it puts it puts the coach also in the right uh, frame you know that you're you're dealing with a person what he or she wants is way more important than you sitting there and trying to fix their problems 100 percent. at the end of the day they are the hero of their stories it's not the coach the coach is just there to make sure that you are on the right path but Everything else is basically on you. Exactly, exactly. Um, so you did go through a mental health challenge. Mm -hmm. What is it that you, what was the moment, the very, you know, it's just a spit of a second where you thought to yourself, that's it, I'm seeking support. Um, well, I have to say before that, there was a moment where I felt that I was in crisis, uh, and that crisis you was share part uh, of the story or the challenge. Yeah, of course, of course. I always share it, and I, I share it because I know people go through similar things; they can relate, and I want them to know that they're not alone, and they can 
they can uh, handle it in, in, a, in a way or another. So the, the crisis I went through was um, I lost everything, basically. Uh, and when I say I lost everything, I mean business, job, uh, health. I had a, a medical emergency. Um, and it was all in, in one condensed uh, period of time. Uh, before that, and I mean literally maybe days before that moment, uh, I was living the dream. I was living my dream life. I had a business. I had a job. I had, uh, you know, my health. I was uh, fit. I, I was exercising. I was coaching. I was doing everything I wanted to do. Uh, and once that was taken away, uh, that's when the crisis started to happen. Now, fast forward um, to the, the moment where I, I believe that I felt that I was alone uh, or, and feelings of loneliness started to creep up on me. Uh, and you probably know from your experience and from talking to people that those feelings of loneliness slowly and gradually build up into hopelessness. So you feel that, okay, I'm lonely today, that's not a problem, but I've been lonely for six months, that's a problem. You know, and then you start thinking, okay, this is not going to change. And then it starts affecting your self-worth and what am I worth and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the, the symptoms of depression kind of move back and forth. It's not just one thing. So from that moment, uh, I, I started developing feelings of hopelessness, hopelessness about the future, hopelessness about my situation, hopelessness about being accepted among my friends and among my community. Especially that, and I mentioned the backstory, so you know that it wasn't just a, a random event. I was here. Okay, people listening can't hear see me, but I was at the top, and then in a split second, I had nothing, or at least in my head, I had nothing. So that made it even worse because the expectation is higher on me. I'm not some beginner who's coming out of college and or or high school. I've been in the field for six, seven years, and I have experienced, and there's a certain expectation, most of it in my head. Um, so once I got, I can say, once I got to that feeling of hopelessness about myself, about the future, uh, that's when I decided to reach out. And uh, I did more or less what they do in American movies, and, and I took a one-way ticket uh, somewhere, <laughs> uh, and I sought help with a friend, and I and, I literally told that friend, you know, I need to talk to you and I need you not to judge me. Oh. And this is something I also advise people to, uh, to do uh, with their friends, at least in the beginning, until you feel that you have that good connection with them, you have their trust and you have the, you know, they have your trust and you have their trust. And then you can have an honest conversation because the honest conversation is also important for you to get, your life back together and straight, but probably not in the beginning. So that's, I think that's uh, what helped me the most. Uh, and it's actually two friends, not one friend. They know who they are. Uh, and they really helped me kind of, um, uh, you know, just express what I was going through yeah. to someone instead of me doing it with myself. Uh, and, and I have to say as well, at the time, you're not really thinking of it logically. You're not telling yourself, oh, wow, I'm going through depression. I should seek a therapy. No, that's not how it goes in your head. How it goes in your head is you believe everything that is going on. 
So you think that's the reality, whereas it's, it's a much more exaggerated picture of the reality. It's, a, it's, a, it's an intense, weird, negative experience that you go through in your head and you need the support of someone, whether it's a friend or a professional or both, to get out of that picture first and then uh, see how logical that picture is and then where you go from there. And obviously it's a journey. It's not a, a one, uh, one, uh, one day, uh, you know, project. Overnight thing, yeah. Exactly. But I, I can, again, I, I have to say that I'm eternally grateful for, for those two friends to that kind of uh, allowed me to express all of the uh, weird things that were going on without passing judgment. And then with time, I have to say that I started to ask them, okay, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And even the things that I did wrong, you know, which is sometimes also, you know, men are worried about that as well. Uh, they were honest with me when I asked them to. They were honest with me and say, yeah, okay, you did that wrong. You messed up. Everybody messes up. Everybody makes a mistake. Uh, a mistake. You know, pick up the phone, say I'm sorry to someone and, and move on with your life. And that's, that's generally what, what happens. <laughs> Uh, at least in the beginning, and then you go on from there. And I saw, I did seek professional help. I have a therapist. I had a psychiatrist. Good. I had a coach. Yeah, <laughs> I had a friend all together. So I had a, a whole medical team helping me uh, that I chose. But, um, but uh, yeah, the first step definitely was seeking help from a friend. I think there's a very thin line between having a good friend and a really, really, really good friend, especially when we are depressed. And what I mean by yeah, that, yeah. your friend is not your coach. And as much as they love you, sometimes they won't, they won't know or they wouldn't know how to help. And they might make things worse out of love. And they want to support you and they, and they really love you, but they don't know how, so they could make things worse. And that's something I would highly focus on that make sure that your friend knows what they're saying or what they're doing. And if not, at least they, they know how to help you get real help. I, I, I can't agree. Like in 100%. my case, my friends ruined my life at some point. <laughs> They thought, Anjad, I'm so sorry, my friends, but they thought they were really helping me, but they didn't. I can totally relate because uh, before I got on that plane I told you about, um, I did have those conversations with those types of friends. And again, it's not a judgment on them. They're great people. They just don't know. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is why <laughs> exactly. I went to you. <laughs> And I, I remember uh, actually in one instance where I talked to one of them, he was, granted he was younger than me, he was probably five or six years younger than me, he probably didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, and he said all the wrong things. Like he, I mean, he, he totally, he, I mean, he could not relate. He was like, yeah, just get over it. He was, I felt like I was sitting with, you know, my father at the time, but so, um, yeah, so I, I agree. And one thing I think that happened with me is that, you you start seeing your friends differently yeah and again i don't mean to offend anyone in that way but you start no, understanding who, yeah, yeah. yeah who is capable of being there at that at those times and who is not and it's not and again it's not to say that these people are better than those people it's just one of those things if you if you had financial trouble i always say it this way if you had financial trouble 
uh, you'd go to you know your friend who works in the bank or someone in the finance world. You would not go to uh, you know a surgeon to ask for financial help. It's, it's um, so it's the same way. If, if some people are capable, some people just can't help themselves and they pass judgment right and left, and that's not good for someone going through uh, uh, mental <laughs> mental uh, challenges. Friends, we love you. This is why we're saying this. Yes. <laughs> we love you, but you know, truth has to be told. Dr. Ryan, um, what do you see? How do you see the future for Arab men when it comes to mental health? Um, I'm actually, I always try to stay uh, optimistic. Uh, yeah, I, that's something, I, and real, reality is something else. Yeah, I, I don't think they're opposite each other. I think um, uh, we have uh, a golden opportunity now yeah. because of the shift of awareness that happened. Uh, this, I'm telling you, if this didn't happen this year, it probably would have taken years and years and years for people to shift their attention to mental health. But today, uh, I think we have a golden opportunity and that's what I try to focus on. I try to focus on the things that I can control. And what I can control is being able to take advantage of this opportunity to spread awareness, spread the story, have conversations with people like you, you know, uh, that probably wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the situation today. Uh, so uh, I try to generally focus on that. Uh, I think a lot of men today were put in a situation where they've had to reevaluate what was really, really important to them versus what was important to them. You know, before it might have been starting a family, finances, job, career, this, that, the typical, you know, package that men usually focus on. Today, uh, I have friends who, you know, have been able to experience what it is to be a stay-at-home parent what it is to be uh, an entrepreneur, what it is to be, uh, you know, uh, someone who spends that much time with their kids and family, whereas maybe in, a, in their regular job, they wouldn't have been able to. So, you know, that's, those are the areas that I like to focus on because that's what we can actually do something about. Uh, you can sit today as a man and think back and say, okay, all of these challenges, challenging experiences that I've gone through, what I've really learned from them is the value of one, two, three. And then you can take action to improve that in your life. And you don't know what's going to happen next year or, or the year after. You might end up a year or two from now in a much better situation than you were at the beginning of the year or last year. You know, I was one of the people who was working on another one of my dream projects and I had to shut down because of COVID. And it was a tough moment, very, very tough moment. I lost my job. I lost, you know, 11 months of me working on and yet another dream. <laughs> uh, you know, it's been four or five projects that I've been trying to do this. So, uh, but again, you asked me how I felt at the beginning of the episode. I told you grateful because three months after that situation, I gained a lot of other things. I gained my health, my physical health back. I gained my, uh, you know, I increased my passion for, for coaching and able to dedicate myself on uh, something that um, I'm good at. So I think what will happen is 
if they treat it right, is they'll be able to focus on what's really, really important because they've had that opportunity to go back and reevaluate uh, things. So that's my answer, and I choose to stick by it because I want to stay optimistic. <laughs> All right. Any final words, uh, doctor, to any man who's listening right now who wants to do something, but he's still hesitant? I, I, I would say that, um, and I said this in the, the lecture I told you about, about yeah. willpower. Uh, I would say that if you do believe that willpower is important and strength is important, then sometimes you need to use it against your own thoughts uh, or with your own thoughts. Yeah. So whatever you feel is keeping you back or holding you back, that's probably the number one thing you need to exercise willpower with. <laughs> uh, and just use your willpower against the thoughts that are holding you back. And, uh, and know that you're not alone. Whatever yeah. uh, image you have about the world and, and uh, the, the group of people around you is probably, probably not 100% true. So whatever you, because sometimes, you know, we, we, we imagine the, the scenario, we play it out in our head and we, I know he is going to say this and I know his reaction is going to be like this. And he also, and she always says this and she always does that. Yes, that might be true, but maybe this is the situation when it's an exception especially if you're going through something really, really, really hard. And that's exactly what happened with me, by the way. I played the scenario of me speaking with my parents probably, probably for three or four months. And today I can tell you it was a waste of time because none of it happened. Every single thing I thought that my parents would say, they did not say. Uh, uh, so those are probably the two messages. Use your willpower against your thoughts. Uh, uh, or to get over the thoughts that are holding you back and uh, you're not alone. I love that. I love that. Thank you, Dr. Ryan, for being here. Thank you so much. And I'll see you in the next one. Take care. Thank you, Rahab. Thank you for this opportunity and thank you for everything you're doing for, for mental health. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. Thank you. Before I leave you to enjoy the episode, I'm going to ask you for a very small favor. Please tell your friends about the show and help me help as many men as possible with their mental health. Now, I know they might not be able to speak up or ask for help, but maybe, just maybe, by listening to these remarkable stories, something will resonate with them. I truly appreciate your support on this, and thank you for listening.